the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Are you thankful? Are you grateful? Maybe we should have said that for Thanksgiving week. But I saw that and I liked it, so I thought I'd show it. But it's kind of pertaining to what we're talking about here tonight. Tonight's message is called uh, Rich in Love. Uh, kind of talking about stuff and how you take things for granted. You know, growing up, I always wanted a fishing boat. I had this little John boat for a long time. It was like a 12-footer or something, you know, with a like nine-horsepower mercury. But I saved up my money. For a long time, in my late 20s, I couldn't wait, you know, and, and I bought this $5,000 bass boat. It was one of those, it was, of course, it was used for $5,000. You can't buy a bass boat for $5,000 these days. But it was, a, it was nice to me. It had 150-horse mercury on the back of it and a fiberglass, you know, and, and I was so excited, man. We took that thing camping a million times and went fishing and, and skiing off of the back of it. The thing would do 55 miles an hour on the water. So you, you know how excited I was about it. I loved my boat, and then I got saved, and I uh, started going to church and everything, and everything was really good. I fell head over heels in love with Jesus, and then I felt like Jesus was asking me to sell my boat, and I said, no, I didn't hear that right, but then he kept showing it to me in the Word, and, and this coincidence, and this thing was happening, and he was, it was just piling up on me. God was saying, I want you to trust me. Sell your boat. Give the money to the church. So I did. I sold my boat. And somehow I got the same $5,000 back out of it. And then that Sunday I went and put it all in the offering plate. And that was at a time, I guess God knew what he was doing. That was when I, when I first got saved. We were at that big building over there. And uh, Pastor Buddy had had a stroke and... A lot, a lot of people were coming anymore, and we had this big building and a lot of overhead and not very many people coming anymore. And so I guess God needed that $5,000, so I sold it. And uh, we survived, I guess. I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but I, I knew I had done what I was supposed to do. Well, time went along, you know, and, and I started hankering for a boat again. And I didn't have another $5,000, but... But I had, you know, a little bit saved up, and I was at a garage sale in, in the neighborhood when I lived over on Eastover in Olive Branch, and this guy had a fishing boat for sale for $1,200. Had like a little 28-horsepower Mariner or something on the back of it, and it was kind of ugly. It looked like it needed some painting. <coughs> looked like it needed a lot of work, to be honest, but, you know, I thought I could fix it up. I started seeing the possibilities, you know. And so, without asking my wife... First mistake. Without asking the Lord. Second mistake. I snuck home, got my $1,200 I had saved up, and came and bought that boat. And the word Ishmael comes to mind. Do you know what an Ishmael is? It's something that you make happen that God didn't want to happen. 
You remember Abraham, God told him he was going to be the father of many nations and he was going to give Sarah, Sarah and Abraham a child in their old age, a child of promise, but they couldn't wait and they went out and they had their own little Ishmael. And Ishmael has been a problem to the world ever since. <laughs> well, that's what I did. I, I bought me a little Ishmael because every time I went fishing in that boat, something would break down. It, was, it would leak the motor wouldn't run. If Gary was here, he'd tell about all the times he had to tow me back to shore or whatever. It, it was like I couldn't get any fishing done. It wasn't fast enough to pull a skier. It was just inadequate. I didn't like the boat. And I began to hate the boat, you know. And, and one day, I decided I'm going to sell the boat. You know, they say there's two days in every boat owner's life. <laughs> it's the day you buy the boat and the day you sell the boat. Boats are a headache, especially Ishmael boats. So I put it on the newspaper back then. I don't know if they had Craigslist back then or whatever, but I put it, and some guy verbally over the phone says, I'll take it, and I was going to sell it for the same $1,200. thought I was going to get my money back. This boat had been such a headache. I mean, every time I came home, I, all I did was spend time working on this boat, and it was just I couldn't take it no more. So I said, come get this thing. Well, he was on the way over. And I went in the house, and, I, and uh, I, I pulled the boat off the hill on the grass to get it down, you know, in the driveway so he could back up to it. And I looked, and I realized my keys wasn't in the ignition in the boat, so I went in the house to find it, couldn't find it anywhere, and I'm starting to panic. Angie, they're on the way over, and I can't find the keys to the boat. And so we're tearing up the house and throwing things everywhere, and I'm thinking, it's just like this boat, you know. You can't even get rid of it. So I'm looking all over the house trying to find the keys, can't find the keys, finally find the keys, and I run out to see if the guy's there yet. He's not there yet. And I say, whew, you know, and I look over, and I'm not kidding. This, is, this boat had never done this before, but oil was running out of the foot of the motor in a pile about this big. Just, I mean, it couldn't wait 15 more minutes. It had never done that. But I don't know, I guess rolling it down the hill just made the foot start leaking. And so the first thought was get the water hose and spray that off and sell that booger and let it go. <laughs> so you know what I did? I'll have to tell you later because we've got to get to our message tonight. Rich in love. I'll finish that message a little bit later. We're going to talk about things. Say things. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke 12. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13. <clears throat> it says, Then someone called from the crowd, and they said, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. And Jesus replied, Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? In other words, dude, I'm down here with a purpose, and it ain't about helping you divide your stuff with your brother and fighting over little petty stuff, things. And then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Say that with me. Life is not measured by how much you own. Thank you for coming tonight. You're dismissed. <laughs> the Bible did it again. That's three services in a row where it just tells my whole message before I even get started. Life is not measured by how much you own. Now, if you came in here tonight and thinking that 
you know, I ain't, I ain't worth nothing because I, you know, I only got $100 in the bank and I only got the clothes on my back, you know. Well, that's not a measurement of what you're worth. Jesus went on, so I'll go on. <laughs> he told him a story. He said, a rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. In other words, God opened the windows of heaven and he just had a bumper crop and everything just worked out right. And he's got all the, more than he can handle, you know. His, his, he said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. And then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then I'll have room to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you know, something wrong with a fellow to sit back and say to himself, my friend. <laughs> he called himself his own friend. Anyway, that's beside the point. I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. You will die this very night. Then who will get what you work for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not to have a rich relationship with God. Store up earthly wealth or have a rich relationship with God. Which would you rather do? Store up rich relationship. Store up rich relationship. Can you store up earthly wealth and have a rich relationship with God at the same time. All things are possible with God. But right before that, Jesus had said it was about as hard as <laughs> putting a camel through the eye of a needle for a rich man to enter into heaven. Somebody, what we're talking about, not just, we're talking about people who store up, you know, earthly wealth. That is their, it has become their idol, so to speak. That's what, that's what he means when he talks about a rich man. Rich in the things of this world, not rich towards God. They have chosen to store up earthly wealth instead of having a rich relationship with God. So let's talk about Jesus. I always like to see what Jesus did. How did Jesus steward his things? Well, first of all, I see that Jesus didn't have a lot of things. Can you... I don't see Jesus having his own boat and four-wheeler and all this stuff in the Bible. I see where sometimes he said he didn't have a place to lay his head. I mean, he was walking around. with He didn't even book a hotel. And here he is, this big-time preacher. Couldn't he just sleep in the back of his limo or something, you know? No, he was hoofing it. He didn't have a limo. Well, he did rent that camel, I mean, not that uh, donkey that day to ride into Jerusalem, but that's beside the point. Jesus, I did notice, had a nice cloak. You know how I know? Because it said when he was crucified, they rolled dice for his cloak. For, they parted his garments, and then there was one nice cloak there that says it was woven from top to bottom and was seamless. Can you imagine making a garment without a seam? You just... I guess they made it round or something, fit his body or whatever. It was a real nice deal. Must have been real nice because they, they wanted to roll dice for it instead of cut it up. And he must have taken care of it or else they wouldn't have wanted it. So we do see that Jesus had something nice and he took care of the thing he had. So he was a good steward of the thing. He just didn't have 20 Armani suits or something, you know, and, you know, a live-in tailor dragging around behind him trying to, you know, 
follow him around in his ministry. But we see Jesus didn't really seem upset or limited by a lack of stuff. Didn't seem to bother him a bit, and it didn't seem to slow him down. In fact, when he first sent his disciples out, you remember he had the 72 and he sent them out two by two, he told them, don't take any money, no extra clothes, no extra sandals, not even a walking stick. Wherever you go, if somebody brings you in the house, you know, stay there and receive what they got, you know, let them feed you or whatever. But you go and preach the gospel. You go cast out devils. You go heal the sick. You do the things that I've been doing. Go, go, go. And he was telling them to go. Why do you suppose he told them not to bring anything with them? I was thinking about that. Well, why, why would they not bring anything? There are probably a lot of reasons. I don't know. But the one I could think of was maybe he was saying, this is your first trip. I want you to get used to going without anything so you won't have an excuse later if you don't have nothing. Because sometimes you give a person an excuse not to go, they'll say, well, I can't go because I don't have any money right now. I can't go because I ran out of uh, business cards. I can't go because I can't, you know, my Bible's locked in the trunk or something. You know, they'll make up some excuse they can't go. And Jesus saying, take all your excuses and go this first time. And then from then on, if you got something to work with, then you, it'll just be gravy. But go. Does that make sense? That's what I was thinking. But there were other times it seems Jesus was ill-prepared. He was teaching in the wilderness a long way from any town or whatever, and it says there were 5,000 men that needed to be fed. That means there was probably 15,000 counting women and children. People was following him out there, and Jesus felt bad because they didn't have any food. He said, do we got any food? What can we feed these people? They'll, they'll pass out if we send them out, you know, without nothing in their bellies. And one of the disciples says, well, there's a kid over here. He's got like a Happy Meal, and that's about all we got. He's got some little McFish in it or something. We can use that, but what is that amongst so many, you know? And I know some of the disciples had to be grumbling to themselves thinking, you know, he does good miracles and stuff, but he's not that organized, you know. He led all these people out here in the wilderness with nothing to eat. He didn't rent any porta potties or nothing. I mean, what's he doing? But you know what happened. He took the little McFish and he blessed it and broke it and he gave it to all 15,000 people. And then we know that he was a good steward of the things he were given because after they ate and had their fill, they picked up 12 baskets fulls of leftovers. They weren't just going to let them sit there. I don't care if dude ate off of it and threw his bread down. They was like, get that. You know, and he was picking up, and they, they kept all the leftovers. So you're seeing a pattern here. The, he didn't have much, but what he had, he kept it nice. He, did, he wasn't wasteful, but he didn't let stuff stop him. And he didn't let lack of stuff discourage him. Really, he wasn't thinking about stuff. In fact, it says that he let Judas keep the bag. What does it mean, the bag? The money bag. The ministry money. Judas kept the bag. Jesus knew Judas was stealing out of the bag. Didn't bother Jesus. What is a coin to Jesus, really? What is some earthly money to a heavenly king? Think about it. Jesus 
used things, but he understood that they were simply tools. He said, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. You know, let Caesar have what is his. I ain't worried about money and earthly stuff. You know, if I need a coin, I'll go fishing. I'll send Peter fishing. You remember the story when he, Peter asked him, is it time to pay our taxes? Should we pay our taxes? He says, here's your pole. Go catch the first fish and look in his mouth, and there was a coin to pay both of their taxes. <laughs> Jesus was cool, man. Jesus was into eternal things. That's what mattered to him. Things relevant to the kingdom that he was from. Not to this temporary place he's just walking through. He was thinking about the things that are going to matter in the place he's going back to and the place that he's going to be forever. Not the things of this temporary earth, which are here today, gone tomorrow. You know, like a puff of smoke. Some might argue, they say, but that was Jesus, you know. He was here on a mission. Aren't you on a mission? Aren't you supposed to be like Jesus? What are you saying, Pastor? Oh, this is one of those sermons. Are you saying we ain't supposed to have stuff? Are you saying Jesus wasn't blessed? No. Au contraire, Jesus was most blessed. And I think before we leave, you'll see what I'm trying to get across. You want to be blessed like Jesus was. In fact, I would consider myself a prosperity teacher. I just happen to preach the prosperity that Jesus preached. I see the kind of life Jesus lived, and that's the kind of life I want. I see somebody free from the pool of stuff. Somebody blessed like Jesus. Now, how did Jesus see being blessed? Well, first in Acts 20, 35, it says that he was the one that said it's more blessed to give than to receive. You want to be blessed? Jesus said be a giver. That's more blessed than to be a receiver. He was the one that advocated storing up treasures in heaven where moth and rust and thieves don't break in and steal that it'll be a little bit more enduring. In fact, it'll be eternally enduring. Now, do I have all this figured out? How do you do this? I mean, how do you live like Jesus, just a carefree attitude without having to have things, without things having you? How do you do it? It's hard because it says we're saddled with three things in our life, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, those are the things that, that cause us to want to sin. And I'm dealing with those things just like you are. I mean, all my life, I'll be honest, early on especially, I was a pawn shop king, you know. I, I was trading and wheeling and dealing all the time. And I was working my way up to nicer stuff. How do you think I got that $5,000 to buy the boat? I mean, it pro I probably started with a a bottle cap or something that I traded until I worked my way up to that $5,000. I mean, I was a wheeler dealer, and I still am to a certain degree. And I still deal with, you know, I got my guitar collection, and, and I got some guns, and I got things that I want to have. I got nice stuff, and I don't think Jesus has, has any problem with that. I'm not saying that we can't have nothing. 
The point I'm trying to get across is we can't let stuff have us. We are the reward of his suffering. He wants our heart. He wants our allegiance first and foremost to him. Like Brother Tom says, is what in, what's in your hand his. You know, the tithe is a good place to start. You know, give him what he asked for, the 10%, the base minimum. But really, that should be the, the starting place for a Christian who's been born again and knows his love and forgiveness and all what he's done for you. We should be working towards giving him everything, anything he wants. It, we're just stewards of this stuff. You understand? He said, you want to find real life? Then die to this life. Take up your cross and follow me. I know, I know. We're, we're impatient. We want ours now. I understand that. I'm working on it just like you are. But Psalms 37, 4 says this. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Delight thyself in the Lord also, and he shall give thee the desires of thy heart. Well, when I got born again, I said, man, that's a good scripture. Lord, I'm delighted in you, man. Give me the truck that I want, Jesus. You know, bless me. Give me all the things that I, that four-wheeler. Give me that boat, Lord. Give me the desires of my heart. I'm delighting myself in you. But what I found as I fell more in love with Jesus and I developed my relationship with him and I really truly began to delight myself in the Lord, what happened? He began to change the desires of my heart. And no longer did my heart desire after trinketry. Is that a word? Trinketry. My heart desired after more of him. And my heart desired after the things that he desires. You. Other people, love. And so as, as my heart began to change to his heart, I realized he was giving me the desires of my heart. He was giving me his desires in my heart. And then I began to see the things that he put in me come to pass. And when, then his will began to be done in my life. And I was getting the desires of my heart and I didn't even know it. And it had nothing to do with trinketry. Dudatatry, plastic wall tree, whatever you want to call it, had nothing to do with stuff. My desires were being fulfilled God's way by delighting myself in the Lord. Now, I can't believe that the devil's never thought of getting the church sidetracked and chasing temporary earthly things. He's never, I guess he's never thought of that because if he could get the church, you know, thinking about naming it and claiming it, if he can get the church thinking about 10 keys to financial prosperity and 12 keys to this and how to rub God the right way to get what you want out of him, man, if he could sidetrack the church like that, that would be detrimental to his kingdom, wouldn't it? Thank goodness we would never fall for that. Imagine that, Christians desiring the same thing of the world and calling it God. <laughs> Supposing that gain is godliness, that would be bad. 1 Timothy chapter 6. 
You know I was just being facetious, right? <laughs> because that has happened and is happening. I'm telling you, there's something better. And some of you are still arguing with me in your head right now. He's just saying we got to be poor now, and this ain't going to be no fun. I am not saying that. And you'll see before we get finished, I am not saying you can't have stuff. I'm saying it can't have you. And I'm telling you how to get stuff in a roundabout way. Everything that will delight your heart. I'm a prosperity teacher. <laughs> All right, 1 Timothy 6.17. Y'all got to think I'm crazy by now. <laughs> I just try to have fun, I don't know. 1 Timothy 6.17, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Here today, gone tomorrow. Up with the stock market, down with the stock market. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. You know, when you begin to preach, it always seems like God is trying to take away my fun, my stuff. Everything about God is to, to mess me up. But no, when you study it out, everything that you thought you wanted was wrong, and we're trying to change your heart so that you can see God is on your side. And he's really trying to get you the true riches. Everything in the world that we were taught is upside down. The world says get all you can and can all you get and don't let nobody get none of it. But God says give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. In other words, God says the way to prosperity is to give your way to prosperity. The world says, no, I've got to hoard it all. Get away. Man, I could give you a thousand examples of what the world says is in 180 degrees to what God says. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. See, he cares about your enjoyment. And he'll richly give you all you need. He says, tell them to use their money to do good. That's what your money is for. It's a tool. It's just a tool. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. Always be ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. How many wants true life? What, what if true life meant doing something totally different than you ever were taught? I know you got well-meaning parents or grandparents that told you, you're going to have to save your money, young man. You know, you're going to have to put it in the bank, and you're going to have to do all these things, and, you're gonna, and you can't give nobody. You can't let nobody cheat you and all this stuff. 
good worldly advice. They meant well. But in God's kingdom, things are different. And if you want true life, you've got to think different. True life is being rich towards God. You know, rich people in the Bible didn't impress God. You know who impressed God? Was the little widow who gave her two mites. God's never been impressed with our riches. When that little woman came up there, though, and gave all she had after those rich guys come up there and threw a, a wad of cash in there, gave a little bit of what they had, said, look at that. But that little ri- the widow, she came up here and gave two little mice. And Jesus said, oh, stop the press. She gave all, more than all of y'all. Because y'all gave a, a, a little bit out of your abundance, but she gave everything she had. That impressed Jesus. And you want to know what made Jesus sad? I'll tell you what made Jesus sad. When the rich young ruler walked away sad. Jesus Said he was just testing his heart, just saying, Sell all, give all you have to the poor and come follow me. He was giving him an opportunity to walk with God. And he chose to hold on to these temporary dollar bills than to walk with God. That's what made Jesus sad. Let me ask you a question. Which one you think can lay down on their pillow tonight and go to sleep and have sweet dreams? Someone bent on holding on to all their stuff or someone bent on holding on to Jesus? Because when you got all this stuff, man, you got to find a box to put it in. Then you got to find a lock for the box so nobody gets in it. Then you got to put an alarm system on your house. Then you got to do this. Then you got to do that. Then you got to get a bigger house. Then you got to get a shed. <laughs> when does it stop? When, when does that hole in your heart that's longing for more stop? It don't. Because what you're putting in there is not plugging the hole. If that makes any sense. You know, many in this world have nothing you know we're the top of the top of the top here in america we have more stuff even the poor people here are like rich in comparison to other countries but people that live in cardboard shacks with dirt floors all around the world there's thankful people with nothing they're blessed in their eyes they're they're blessed but we got people with summer houses and yachts and, and anything that their little heart desires to buy, and they hate their life. Stuff is not the way to happiness. Things will never bring you happiness. In fact, I read somewhere recently that the suicide rate amongst rich folks is higher than amongst poor folks. Well, that doesn't make sense. Shouldn't poor folks be upset and angry? And
Money's not wrong. It's the love of money that is at the root of all evil. I'm not saying that if you have things, that you should be ashamed. <laughs> no. If you have things and you're using them for good, and they're, they're useful tools to you, and you see them in the proper context, and you're willing to share, if God asks you to, and you've got everything, well, be blessed. God loves to see his children blessed. There's no doubt about that. God's okay with you having lots of money if you understand it's just a tool. In fact, if you understand that money is just a tool, he'll probably be the one getting it to you so that you can use the tool. Because most rich people in the world, they're just putting it in a bank in the Cayman Islands. It's just sitting there not doing anybody any good while people are dying all over the world of hunger and stuff. Can you imagine how perplexed God is about the way we do things down here? Tonight what we're discussing is not about things really. It's about perspective. It's how you see things. It's how you see the world, how, how you understand what really matters. You're going to get your 60 or 70, 80, 90, maybe 100 years down here or so. And what are you going to do with it? Because you won't be here after that and, and where you're going is going to be based on what you did while you were here. I hope that makes sense. And God does use finances. He has some preach the gospel and he has some finance the gospel. So there's a need for, for people who do have a correct understanding of the tool of money. There's a need for business owners. There's a need for you to be successful at what you do and to make finances and to make right decisions and to be good stewards of what you have. That's all godly stuff to do that. He needs people to finance the gospel. He has goers and he has senders. The people that actually go into the world and the people that send them and finance them. He has kings. He has priests. The kings, you know, make the decisions and fund the projects and the priests preach the gospel. So there's, there's all kinds of ways that God can use you and your resources if you will allow him to. And if he can get it to you, if he can get it through you, he'll get it to you. Have you ever heard that saying before? You're, lo you're like a hose. If he can get the water through you, you'll get wet in the process, and he'll keep you filled up. Because he don't have a lot of people he can trust down here with finances. Sometimes the first big check they get, they ain't going back to church no more. Probably if I said, I'll give, give somebody in here $1,000 if they don't come to church Sunday. How about every hand in here? I won't come. <laughs> I'm just kidding, but it wouldn't take that much. It'd be about 10 bucks for most of them. <laughs> I'll, I'll not come for free, Pastor. <laughs> if you preach like that, I ain't coming anyway. <laughs> 
What we've been discussing is simply issues of your heart. The way you see things and what your heart longs after. God will give you the desires of your heart, but you must delight yourself in him, not in the things. Why worship the creation when you could worship the creator? Hello? <laughs> is Jesus enough? Oh, my goodness. I'm going to close. First Timothy 6.6 6 says, True godliness with contentment is itself great gain. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave. You never see anybody, you never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul, do you? You can put, put their stuff in the casket with them, but look, it's really not going on to the other side. So godliness with contentment is great gain. What does that mean? I don't know. No, I do know. Godliness is simply being who you're called to be by your creator. I thought of that definition today, and I said, that, that, that's right. Godliness can be seen as holiness, acting like God, doing all these things, but really godliness is being who you were created to be by your creator. That's what godliness is. You were made in the image of your creator, and so you're supposed to be like your creator. And being, being godly is being like your creator, being called who you were created to be. But you can't be content if you don't know what you are and who you are and where you're supposed to do. And your heart's seeking purpose whether you realize it or not. Everybody's heart is got this vacuum and, and they're sucking up all kind of things trying to fulfill this want inside of them. And if you don't know what the purpose of that of your life is, you'll never reach out. You'll be looking for love in all the wrong places. And we've looked for love in our bank accounts, and it didn't love us back. We've looked for love in the, in the nightclubs, Didn't love us back. We've looked in all the wrong places. If you're not content, it's because you don't understand what you're created to be. You haven't found yourself in Christ. You haven't delighted yourself in the Lord. When you delight yourself in the Lord, He gives you those desires that your heart is longing for. He is what fills you and makes you complete. He, he is more than enough. You don't need, and it is not Jesus and this will make me complete. It's Jesus. If you know Jesus, but you're still not complete, you don't know him enough. <laughs> We're living in a crazy time. And I know you people, my brothers and sisters, go home at night sometimes with these wackadoo things happening in the world and your children doing this and your parents doing that and everywhere around you, helicopters and police sirens and, and ambulances and the news and all of this going on, hospitals, ailments. I don't know what that is. It's an ailment. I've got the ailment. <laughs> but... 
We've got to, oh my goodness. When you get home and you're, your hair is standing up and it's frizzy. And it's like you stuck your finger in a socket and you're about to go nuts. Do you, do you get home and say, I've got to go to my checkbook. And you get it out and say, oh, relief, peace, oh, peace, oh, such peace. No, where do you turn? Lord, help me, Jesus. When we have prayer on Tuesday nights, the modern-day warriors of our time are standing around, sitting around in a circle. Awesome soldiers of Christ, and we spend half of our time praying over each other because the, the craziness in which we live. Some of us would not be here tonight if it weren't for Jesus. We would be in a mental ward somewhere. Dead. What is it that fills you when you got to be filled? You know it's Jesus. It's not stuff. We actually serve the most extravagant God. But pastor, he didn't even have but one cloak. He didn't even have a limo at all. No. We serve the most extravagant God that you could imagine. We serve a God who was invited into a Pharisee's home to eat meal, and a sinful woman snuck her way in and slithered up to his feet and broke an alabaster box of expensive perfume over him and poured it all out at once. It says it was worth over a year's wages at least. And guess what? Judas, <laughs> Mr. Materialistic, the man who steals out of the bag, the man who would sell God for 30 pieces of silver, is the one who jumps up and says, Huh, that's wasteful. Jesus said, No. No, you don't get it, Judas. She gets it. She understands. She will be remembered because of her extravagant love to me, shown to me. She understands that I am extravagant about my love for you. And I want you extravagant about your love. That's what gets God excited, not trinkets. It's his love for you. He invests in you without restraint, no holds barred. He has given you everything he is and he has. Every last drop of blood, he poured it out. He is extravagant. He went over the top. But it was because of love. God's love is the treasure. Jesus as Lord is my reward. God's love is the true treasure, and Jesus as Lord is my reward. If you love Jesus and you give it all up for him, you won't lack for anything. 
you won't lack for anything. You may not have the things that you used to have or used to thought were important, but you won't think they're important anymore. So there I was. and had the water hose in my hand and this pile of oil down there about below the foot of the motor. All I had to do was wash it away and get my $1,200 and get that Ishmael out of here. I thought to myself, I love Jesus too much to do that to somebody. I would have done it in the old days. But I am not selling my integrity for a little bowl of red soup like Esau. I am not giving away what Jesus has done in my heart for an extra 700 bucks, which is what it turned out to be. So I put the water hose up, and the guy came up the drive finally, and I said, come here. And I showed him this. He said, oh. I said, look, the boat itself and the trailer, and you could probably get the motor fixed. I don't know, but I'll take 500 for the whole shebang. He goes, oh. He gave me 500 and he wheeled it off, and I said, goodbye, Ishmael. <laughs> and I, I hope I learned a lesson about trying to do, get things that God didn't want me to have or hold on to things that God didn't want me to have. Now I got a nice boat out in the, in the uh, yard. Didn't pay a dime for it. It was my dad's, and me and my brother share it, and, and uh, it runs fine. In fact, when I got the boat, it, my dad said it needed to uh, be engine needed to be rebuilt. And if you know anything about boat motors, that's the expensive part. It was going to talk take like three thousand dollars to fix it. And me and my brother got it, and we went to the lake. Sure enough, it, it was missing on a cylinder or whatever. We figured, well, we'll just put around until it goes bad because we can't afford one right now. Well, we'd put it around on it long enough, that booger opened up. We gone now. I don't know what, it just worked itself out. God's blessing in my life. I'm telling you, I'm the most blessed man. I, I, I promise you, I sit and think to myself, I am the most blessed man in the world. Now, does everything go my way? No. Do I have to pull my hair out sometimes? Yes, all, all the same stuff you do. But it's a matter of perspective. When I think about my Lord, when I think about what he did on the cross for me, how he gave his life, how he, he lives his life, how he gave me that extravagant love and, and, and has put extravagant love in my heart and how I get to love you guys for a living, I just love life. It's getting gooder and gooder. I definitely feel rich in love, like the name of the title says. I'm more blessed now than I could have ever made myself on my own. You think you're giving up something, but you're really just letting go of fool's gold and taking hold of the real. listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.